uh, President Biden's own supporters in the United States who want to see this war stop is that, in fact, it's scaling down to uh, lower intensity operations or more often. It doesn't say that quite outright. It says it will move away from high intensity operations into what it says is is, is a so-called phase three of its operations in Gaza. So what is phase three? Phase three focuses on southern Gaza. Every day we are getting reports of casualties from Gaza, civilian casualties in the triple digits. Israel already made something like 1.7, 1.8 million people relocate to southern Gaza. So this war is not, in fact, uh, scaling down. It's moving toward a sustainable path of civilian devastation. Spencer Ackerman, foreign policy columnist for The Nation magazine, will also publishes the Forever Wars on newsletter on Ghost. We'll link to your pieces at democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez for another edition of Democracy Now! This is KBOO Portland. Tune in to KBOO on Saturday, February 17th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for a special live remote broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream. Keep Alive the Dream is an annual celebration of the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This year's event includes guest speakers and musical performances from the MLK All-Star Band, Eli Hardy, and more. Again, that's a special live broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream, Saturday, February 17th, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., here on your community radio station, KBOO, Portland. I'm Doug McVeigh, host of Free Culture Radio. Every month, we bring you 30 minutes of news and information about people who use drugs as we discuss topics like safe supply, safe consumption spaces, decriminalization, legalization, harm reduction, human rights, civil rights, and much more. Tune in and listen to Free Culture Radio on the third Wednesday of each month from 6.30 to 7 p.m. Pacific here on KBOO Community Radio 90.7 FM. You are listening to KBOO, 90.7 FM in Portland. You are listening to KBOO, Portland, 90.7 FM. The time is 8.02 a.m. Next up is Wednesday Talk Radio with Paul Roland. Just do. 
indeed. We are living in the wasteland of the free. Good morning, everybody. I'm Paul Rowland. This is Wednesday Talk Radio. I'll be with you for an hour. We've got a wonderful guest this morning, Norman Solomon. We'll bring him up in just a second. I did turn that song down before she started on her anti-war, powerful anti-war statement, uh, Iris Dement from her 1996 release, The Way I Should, which is very relevant to the subject at hand, as well as uh, her comment about politician running races on corporate cash. Anyway, we're going to get into a couple uh, major topics here. Uh, uh, the Whether or not Joe Biden should run again for president, or as Norman Solomon suggests, step aside Joe in favor of a younger, more progressive candidate. And second, the subject of his book published last year, War Made Visible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. <clears throat> and uh, Norman Solomon is uh, a former Portlander. It's getting farther and farther away from those uh, those days, Norman. We may, may talk a little bit about that, but um, he's gone on to do many, many things, including found the uh, Institute for Public Accuracy, a consortium of policy researchers and analysts. He's their executive director and coordinator of its Exposed Facts program. He's co-founder and national director of the online organization RootsAction.org, which now has upwards of 1.3 million online supporters. He was elected as a Bernie Sanders de delegate to the 2016 and 2020 Democratic National Conventions. Oh, if we could bring Bernie Sanders back again, but maybe we'll talk about that too. Anyway, you can go to his website, uh, NormanSolomon.com, and find out that and much more. So good morning, Norman. Good morning, Paul. How are you doing down there? Well, under the circumstances, I personally am doing fine, as uh, KBU and many other progressive outlets have been covering. Meanwhile, the warfare state is unhinged, and we see what's going on in Gaza, at least from afar, and the consequences are just uh, terrible. Indeed. Well, I just want to uh, briefly say that uh, Portland... And we're we're it's kind of miraculous that me and uh, my board operator Ty got here this morning because it it is a sheet of ice out there. I had to borrow my uh, housemate's uh, clip-on. Uh, it's got these gripper metal grippers on the bottom of these things. Anyway, they allow me to walk to the bus, and miraculously that bus was running. So anyway, here we are, and there you are. So uh, first thing I guess I wanted to ask you before we get deeper into both the subjects we want to talk about. So link these two issues together. Uh, what is Biden's role in perpetuating and concealing the United States perpetual war machine? And how does that fit into wanting him, one, you wanting him to step aside? Uh, Biden really has um, continued to sink deeper and deeper into, um, as Pete Seeger would have sung during the Vietnam War, the deep muddy of denial of militarism, of slaughter masquerading as support for human rights and dignity. He started out on a different note. He pulled U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. As my book, War Made Invisible, goes into, he spoke at the United Nations in the fall of 2021 and proclaimed in the aftermath of that withdrawal that, as he put it, the United States has turned the page. We're no longer at war. Well, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but that was a lie then, and it's certainly a lie now. At the time, the U.S., according to the Cost of War Project at Brown University, was engaged in the so-called war on terror in various ways in 85 different countries. And we've seen since then the lower-scale, less dramatic events, like an occasional missile strike in Somalia or in Syria or in Iraq has deteriorated and descended into more overt military actions. Just as I'm sure many of uh, our listeners know, Paul, in the last few days, the United States military has repeatedly attacked Yemen. It's not enough uh, for this president that he's the third president in a row to be actively complicit in the slaughter in Yemen led by Saudi Arabia. And, of course, 
along with all this, anybody who hasn't been hiding under a rock is at least somewhat aware that Israel is in its fourth month of mass murder of civilians in Gaza, activity that Joe Biden has been completely in support of. And so, I guess, leading into your uh, this initiative that you... Was original what was originally called uh, uh, before it became we, step aside, Joe? Yes, uh, right after the midterm election. So we're talking mid November, twenty twenty two, more than a year ago. Um, we launched the "Don't Run Joe" campaign, and after he formally became a candidate for re-election with the Federal Elections Commission, we just changed the name from. Don't Run Joe to Step Aside Joe, and people can find uh, this effort on the web at stepasidejoe.org. It's been sponsored uh, and continues to be sponsored by organization I'm part of that you mentioned in the intro, rootsaction.org. Anybody listening who isn't yet getting email action alerts from Roots Action, you can just, in 30 seconds, sign up at the top of the homepage, Roots Action. Dot org And frankly, Paul, at the very beginning and from then on, as a national organization, Roots Action reached out to other progressive groups to co-sponsor Don't Run Joe, now Step Aside Joe. And what we got was private support, but failure to engage in public support to the extent of simply signing on wouldn't have cost them a dime. Just sign on as co-sponsor of Don't Run Joe, Step Aside Joe. There's a word for why it didn't happen. Fear. Fear of alienating the White House. Fear of seeming not a loyal enough ally to the Democratic Party. This is how wars keep going. This is how a president who should be pushed aside by a progressive movement and a progressive candidate that's how this terrible mess that we're in now politically uh, gets perpetuated indeed um, well it, it should be surprising um, but I guess it's not really anymore S- seeing things like the, the the few very few progressives who sign on to a letter um, calling for uh, you know negotiations on the Ukraine war that seems like De- eons ago, but it was only uh, a couple years ago now, and uh, s- similar things. It just seems the the hope of the uh, the progressive caucus in Congress that that many of us had, I guess, following on the on the heels of the of the Bernie Sanders campaign, which really did kind of revive uh, a sort of a progressive element in the D- Democratic Party. It just seems to have really fallen by the wayside. You get, I mean, you're you're kind of enough inside the process to be able to understand more to talk us about is fear is is that is that what explains it just fear conformity and unwilling to buck the tide with all the differences there are really similarities to the escalation of the Vietnam War and we think about how extraordinary and in many ways isolated in the U.S. Senate. Oregon Senator Wayne Morse was. A clarion call from him beginning with the start of the escalation of the Vietnam War. And he was for years almost the only U.S. Senator to speak out. It was him and Ernest Greening from Alaska, the only two out of a hundred senators to vote against the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution in 1964 that opened those bloody floodgates to escalation of the Vietnam War. And if we fast forward, and this speaks to the gap between the base of the Democratic Party, indeed the people of this country, and those in charge of the executive and the uh, Senate uh, part of the U.S. government, the Democratic Party, of course the Republican Party is neo-fascist, forget it, the Democratic Party, the gap is huge because while we sound sort of downbeat, the fact is that the polling shows two-thirds of the U.S. public 
wants a ceasefire in Gaza, wants the U.S. government to call for and exert its enormous leverage to insist on a ceasefire to stop the slaughter of civilians that is continuing day by day, hour by hour. And yet, even though it is two-thirds of the U.S. public supporting a ceasefire, we just had a vote yesterday in the U.S. Senate Nothing radical about it, but straightforward, saying that we need a report in 30 days on the human rights violation issues of Israel, and there'll be consequences if we don't get a report that is acceptable. Well, look at what happened there. We had 11 senators vote yes. So what's up with the other 89? Well, they included Ron Wyden. We've got somebody in the U.S. Senate from the state of Oregon. He's been there for almost forever, 1996, and he refuses to take the most minimal step to stand up for human decency, a step towards ending this slaughter that the United States government is making possible with enormous billion dollars and billion dollars more worth of shipping of armaments and ammunition to Israel. So it's quite a contrast. You've got Jeff Merkley, one of the 11, willing to take that step for decency, and we've got 89 who have refused in the U.S. Senate. Almost kind of like good cop, bad cop or something. I guess maybe that's a bad analogy. But, yeah, Wyden is uh, certainly very far from calling for a ceasefire, which many people have called upon him to do outside his office and and such. Um, so we do uh, have a caller. I did want to ask you, I, I know that you have a petition on the Step Aside uh, Joe.org website, um, and I want to ask, uh, you know, sort of a popular support for that position. But let's, uh, let's go to our first caller, and you too can call and be on the air at 503-231-8187. Uh, maybe we lost them already. Oh, I guess we waited too long to get to John. He got impatient, um, but 503-231-8187, that's the number to call if you want to get on with Norman Solomon, my guest today. This is Wednesday Talk Radio. I'm your host, Paul Rowland, and uh, once again, thank everybody for contributing to our end-of-the-year membership drive, which ended successfully. Really appreciate it. enables us to keep this kind of program going. So, um, before we go to our next caller, hopefully, talk about... Uh, Go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, uh, hi. Uh, this is John. I called back. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Biden, the other day I was reading that he said he was doing all he could to stop the bombing in Gaza. And I just thought, what a lie. And, uh, and so all he has to do is do that regardless of the starvation and the thirst and the withholding of the medicines and the food. And the the Yemenis will stop shooting uh, the the boats up. Uh, Iran will stop shooting uh, rockets uh, at maybe I don't know if they'll stop shooting rockets at Pakistan that, that they did yesterday. But um, you know the Hezbollah might might chill out uh, at least the part of the genocidal stop. Um, and I was listening to flashpoints yesterday, um, and they were saying that uh, that the organizers of uh, Biden's campaign are quitting, and they they wrote in letters about how his campaign isn't is falling apart, and that uh, he's eight points behind Trump in Michigan, a swing state. Well, let's hear what Norman. Do you th do you think there's a possibility of some kind of mutiny within the uh, Biden camp? Well, there is at the lower levels of the hierarchy already, as the caller and John, I think, makes a lot of good points. Uh, as John points out, that many staff members, former um, staffers of the 2020 campaign, current ones, are saying this is morally and politically madness of what Biden is doing and not doing. This idea and this claim from Biden that he is somehow doing all he can, well, maybe literally all he can because 
he's morally deformed, and the consequences are so huge and vast. I should add that the point of a pathway to an end to the bombing of shipping in the Red Sea is very important. The Houthis has been, have been very clear that they're doing so in solidarity with Palestinians being slaughtered by Israel, and if that slaughter ends, so would the bombardment. And at accuracy.org, at the Institute for Public Accuracy, just this morning we've posted a news release quoting Trita Parsi from the Quincy Institute, an article he has in Time magazine this week on their website, and he makes that very point that there is a pathway to prevent a wider war if only the United States would be rational about this and see that the bombing of the ships in the Red Sea could be stopped if the slaughter in Gaza was stopped and the U.S. is capable of exercising the leverage to make that happen. Okay, well, thank you for calling, John. Um, we do have another caller. So do, before we get to Edie, so, I mean, so is what explains <clears throat> Biden's just uh, almost obsessive um, hoeing, towing the line of, uh, of, of supporting Israel to the extent of continuing the massive uh, military aid that allows this this uh, slaughter in Gaza to continue? Is it an ideological thing? Is it a political thing? What, what's going on? To some extent, Paul, I think we're getting into a realm where political analysis merges into psychoanalysis, but there are some really major political signposts and factors. Really, I think Biden is playing by the old playbook for decades and decades. Uh, members of the House and Senate presidents have been so willing and able to, with minor, relatively minor quibbles, give Israel what it wants, turn a blind eye and be quiet about the inherent and escalating human rights violations of the occupation that have con has continued since 1967 of Palestinian territories. And of course, the power of APAC, the tremendous uh, financial and media clout of knee-jerk pro-Zionist supporters of Israel. And so that's a lot of the sort of the default mental positioning that uh, Biden shows himself to be part of. And as we saw in the Senate vote that I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, just yesterday, that's replicated by the overwhelming majority of people in Congress. And yet now we're seeing a tremendous gap. And this gets back to your points about Biden's re-election effort. There's a tremendous generational gap, and people under 35 or 40 in the United States are now overwhelmingly more supportive of Palestinians than the Israeli government, and yet Biden doesn't get it or doesn't want to get it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is Wednesday Talk Radio. I'm Paul Rowland. You're also hearing Norman Solomon, a longtime a journalist, a political analyst, organizer, and uh, he is on the line with us today, and you can get on the line with me and him, he and I, whichever, by calling 503-231-8187 like Edie did. Let's hear what Edie has to say. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to be consistent uh, in not voting for Biden or Trump or people of their ilk, but what I want to hear on the radio is you telling us um, what you think the Democratic Party should be uh, uh, presenting as an option if they're not going to be having Dr. Cornell West. What can we um, persuade them to do, and how can we uh, better go, go about that? Because I am terrified of having Biden or Trump. Yeah, well, great question. And Progressives, of course, around the country are are looking at this situation with a great deal of distress. There, there are, of course, a lot of other races, including uh, some on the West Coast, where uh, 
advocates for the neo-fascism of the Republican Party are either incumbents or they're they're challenging um, people who are not as unhinged. And so those races are important, you know, up and down the ballot. In terms of the presidential race, I certainly wish, and at RootsAction.org we have, have expressed the wish, that Cornell West would run in the Democratic primaries. But as the saying goes, that ship has sailed. He has chosen to run um, essentially independent third party, if that's not an oxymoron. He is not running even in the Green Party. He's running and will get on probably you know, a few ballots. Um, and in a, in a state uh, along the West Coast, for instance, Oregon, Washington, California, it really doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, certainly in a place like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, if you've got a Green Party candidate, as we will again have Jill Stein, um, th- this is uh, aid and comfort to uh, the neo-fascists in the Republican Party. They love third-party candidates. And so we're, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're far along. Edie has, you know, that's a great question. Thank you. And we're very, very far along in this process, unfortunately. And our, our efforts at RootsAction.org to have the Step Aside Joe campaign uh, gain sufficient leverage to, to push Biden out, we have failed. And now the, the clock is so far along that it's a friggin' mess. Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 was, uh, I, I guess that, that uh, answers that question in terms of where the Step Aside Joe uh, ish, initiative is going. So basically, um, you, don't, you don't see any, any potential candidates um, on the horizon at all. Well, we have continued to advocate uh, from Roots Action, from Step Aside Joe, that Biden indeed step aside and open up the process. A lot of the deadlines are passed for primaries, but still this could be fought out. And we should continue to push. We had at Roots Action a campaign inside the state of Oregon to urge Senator Jeff Merkley to run in the primaries for president. And one of the reasons is that he gave an interview, Merkley gave an interview to the Washington Post about six months ago, where he very clearly laid out the betrayal of the climate movement by the Biden White House. And I think commendably, Merkley was willing and able to speak truthfully about Biden's collapse to the fossil fuel industry and the betrayal of the earth and the next generations around climate issues. And so we know that more than 100 people utilizing the RootsAction.org website as constituents within the state wrote to Senator Merkley and said, please, we like what you've said in this Post article, this interview, please run in the primaries uh, to be an alternative to Biden for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2024, but unfortunately, he uh, he opted not to do that. So it seems like it just seems so horribly, terribly paradoxical that this fear of rocking the boat of you know change essentially changing the trajectory of of U.S. empire you know in a time when that's the only only possible choice that we have to deal with all the multiple crises that that fear is so seems to be greater than the actual fear of what's coming down the pike at us with the accelerating rapidity of climate change and and the, the and the perpetual wars and everything that all all go together basically it's it just uh i don't know it just really blows my mind it is hard to fathom at the same time that it's real right in front of us, and there is this tremendous gap between what most people in this country, certainly the Democratic Party base of people, what we understand, what our priorities are, as measured in the polls, what Martin Luther King Jr. called the madness of militarism, is running amok, and King referred to what he called the demonic destructive suction tube of massive spending for military purposes that take away the resources for 
health care, education, housing, infant care, elderly care, transportation, ecological protection, on and on. And King talked about it in 1967. We're dealing with it in 2024 because, as you say, Paul, it's the trajectory that could be understood and was understood by some way back many decades ago that was then extrapolated to where we are now. And so whether you're in Portland or any other area in this country, you don't have to go very far to see the consequences where we're being bled dry by corporate greed, by militarism, by the failure of the political system to function adequately with small-d democracy. This, though, is, is also about us because we've been trained to be passive. We've been trained through mass media, through schools and other cultural zeitgeist aspects to watch history instead of help to create it. And one of the silver linings, and it's a very important one, is independent media that has flourished and been able to be somewhat of a countervailing force. So this is an unsolicited plug for KBU Radio. For more than, what, 50 years, well over, you know, KBU has been the avenue for people to share information and analysis and help to mobilize and raise consciousness and action. Whereas if we leave it to places like the Oregonian, we're just... Uh, we're just going down the tubes. So we got a couple callers waiting in the wings. Uh, so let's just go straight to Ron. You are on the air. Uh, thanks, Paul. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Norman. Long time no talk to both of you. Um, listen, at this point in time, we have no choice as Democrats to vote for anybody but Biden because if we vote for any third party they're not going to win but trump could win and, and i know we're both aware we're all three aware of that and uh as much as i would hate to have biden biden uh, uh re-elected as president after what he did with hamas and palestine i mean uh, uh israel um we don't have a choice unfortunately you know and 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 just to speak to what you just said uh norman Look, our government, not our government, well, that's our government in a sense, but it's other uh, organizations have people walking and marching in lockstep with, 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 with uh, um, you know, the, the, basically the government. Um, you know, we've got to figure out another way because uh, uh, these organizations that are backing our government are doing exactly um, uh, what the government wants them to do and people are going along with the program. Hey, thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that comment. When we're in a bind, we need to recognize it. And this is probably not relevant to those of us here in the three states on the West Coast, but the reality is there are about 10 or 12 states in this country uh, whether it's Arizona, Nevada, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, where it's on razor's edge. Is the next president going to be a neo-fascist or just a neoliberal? We know whether it's the Democrat or Republican who wins, they're going to be a militarist. That, unfortunately, is, is baked in. But fascism is a real threat, and we need a dialectical approach, and I think the caller is quite correct. They're not the same. A neo-fascist party, which is the Republican Party at this point, that's nothing to screw around with. It's crucial to keep them out of the White House. Of course, just to, um, to clarify your previous point, Ron was saying, was you already said that you think that... Uh, People shouldn't this time around anyway, shouldn't be voting for third parties for the reasons you said. But your your point um, was not that uh, people should do that, but that there should still be some contestation within the Democratic Party of the basic the hegemony of the militarist, corporatist, 
old guard uh, line that's represented by Joe Biden. And even though you, you say that the that it's basically too late in the process, that, there, that we should still be talking about it, right? Oh, absolutely. We should never stop being truthful. I think uh, promoting Biden as some kind of great uh, candidate is unhinged. Promoting him as a good president is unhinged. We need to be honest about this. He's uh, really betrayed us in so many ways, in basic ways, and is part of a military-industrial complex that is uh, so terribly destructive ongoing. You know, there's this sort of uh, uh, trope or assumption that comes from on high in the political party, the Democratic Party, that, oh, you have to lie about him because you want him to... uh, defeat a candidate that's worse and we don't have to lie about it. we can be honest we can say there are two choices there's a bad choice and an even worse choice i do want to say though about voting third party for president when we're in a state uh, like california that is so blue or in a state like uh, oh alabama that is so red i'm not going to tell people um in my opinion don't vote third party for president because it it really doesn't matter we have an electoral system i'm just talking really about a dozen swing states for president where uh, i think a left third party or cornell west he is objectively um, a potential help to the neo-fascist republican well um we are talking uh, on wednesday talk radio here on kbu to norman solomon a long time activist, journalist, political analyst, founder of RootsAction.org and the Institute for Public Accuracy, um, author of uh, more than a dozen books, including most recently War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine, which I'd like to talk a little bit more about in some of the time we have left. But we do have one more caller on stack, Robert. Let's go to Robert. Go ahead. You hello? there? Yeah. Oh, hello. Hi. Hi, Norm. Uh, uh, it's uh, great, great having you back in the area. Hey, I've been listening uh, to people just lamenting that there's no one to in the Democratic Party that can win, and I'm I'm kind of remembering what happened in California in the last race with uh, Debbie Wolserman Schultz um, having to resign the Democrat, you know, in the Democratic Party. But the other thing I'm really wondering is. All these names are discussed, and yet there's one name that was is running and was run out of the Democratic Party, basically, and that's Robert Kennedy Jr. And I just wonder, like, I read what he says. I see polls that he's very popular with younger people, and yet his name, is it what? Is there some smudge on him? That's well, all. I, I think that's, uh, thank you, Robert. That's a, I think that's a, a good question. Uh, for one thing, I think of the potential, in theory, potential Democratic nominees for president. It's hard to think of any who likely would do worse than Joe Biden. Joe Biden has so many flaws. If you look at on the 538 website, the aggregate of polling, a 17% underwater on approval, disapproval. It's it's record-breaking on popularity with the general population. So almost any Democrat in the House or Senate uh, would conceivably do appreciably better than him against the uh, Republican neo-fascist. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has said that he will be the most pro-Israel president in history. So that's just for starters, RFK Jr. bragging about how pro-Israel he is. Uh, That's one thing. Uh, His vaccine positions are so contradicted by the overwhelming amount of research, uh, I think progressives should not hang their hat on somebody like that. It's just he's not in sync with our values. Okay. Well, thank you, Robert. Uh, 503-231-8187 is the number to call in to be on this program with uh, Norman Solomon, my guest. So um, before we go to our next caller, talk a little bit, uh, uh, this Obviously, this the the War Made Invisible book echoes your previous book, War Made Easy. Um, uh, uh, how presidents and pundits keep spinning us to death, which is still totally uh, appropriate for uh, today. 
But uh, talk a little bit about uh, what got you into writing this book and what the major themes of this book are. Well, War Made Easy came out a few years into the invasion and occupation of Iraq and really talked about the propaganda mechanisms that have made it possible uh, for the U.S. to get into and stay into so many wars one after another. And I realized in recent years that war more and more has become background noise for U.S media and politics it's been so ongoing and it's become so perpetual and so even the opposition to perpetual war has become uh, less distinct and less present because the wars are omnipresent and they keep going so it's it's faded into background noise it's faded into kind of the the wallpaper the echo chamber that we don't see and hear so much and so that's why the book War Made Invisible uh, was one that I thought is important uh, to to write and to talk about. The United States has been at war for more than 22 years, and yet we hear less and less about it. The special operations forces, the training of other militaries, the joint exercises, uh, the ways in which the United States is the major arms exporter on the planet. And there are many different layers, but one that I talk about in the War Made Invisible book, which should be in Multnomah County libraries and so forth, is that when you have a news dominance in the major media outlets, and I am including All Things Considered, Morning Edition, and so forth on NPR, that emphasize the humanity of some victims of war, and give little or no attention to the humanity of other victims of war, essentially what we have is two tiers of grief that are projected by media and politics and internalized by the population on the whole, people whose lives really matter and people whose lives who don't. And so one way to look at it is that 3,000 souls were extinguished on 9-11, and then the United States launched a so-called war on terror that according to the Brown University Cost of War Project, directly killed 400,000 civilians. So you look at the ratio. For every innocent soul that was ended on 9-11, more than 100 have been likewise killed in supposed retaliation. And that's just a start because when you deal with the indirect deaths of civilians and others and the cascading effects of uh, degrading the environment, destroying infrastructure, making healthcare impossible, uh, causing malnutrition and starvation, the Brown University study at Cost of War Project says that the U.S.-led 9-11 wars since 9-11 have caused, and maybe you need to sit down for this, 4.5 million deaths. So the ratio isn't 100 to 1, if my math is correct, it's 1,000 to 1. And so yet the people who have been killed by the U.S. military are virtually off the media radar screen. And that is because they are relegated to the other tier of grief. They don't matter. And let me just say one other thing about that, Paul. If you drive through Portland if it's similar to any other city in this country, you will see Ukrainian flags displayed in solidarity with the people of Ukraine. You will not find Yemeni flags. Well, why is that? The United States has supported the Saudi-led war on Yemen that, according to the UN, has cost 400,000 lives, caused the largest cholera epidemic in human history. How do we explain that we're, we have all this support for people being killed in Ukraine, but not in Yemen. And that is because we have a political and media system that has two tiers of grief, people who matter and people who don't. And as I say in this book, War Made Invisible, one of the many consequences is that it corrodes our own human decency. And not to mention the risks, social, political risks of uh, flying 
a Palestinian flag, either in reality or metaphorically um, in the current climate. But we do have another caller, and you, you can join the conversation in the last 15 minutes by calling 503-231-8187. Let's hear what Mark has to say. Go ahead. You're on the air. Good, good morning. Uh, thanks, Nor- thanks, Norman. Hello? Are you- Hi. Thanks, Norman. Thanks for your great passion. I have several comments and points that I'd like to make. Uh, number one, uh, the United States is paying around $860 billion a year uh, as interest on the debts. So we, we are a debt-driven economy. We're not really a free enterprise economy. And uh, there are many articles about emergency capitalism on the website thephilosophicalsalon.com. I I want to also mention that uh, Ukraine has has lost and that Ukraine is is running out of ammunition and soldiers and that it can't possibly win a war of attrition against Russia, that we are being blinded. George Orwell said that war would become a domestic necessity to divert the people well, that's what what we are living through—a uh, a total fantasy, because the media and the political system are are wedded together. I also wanted to mention that Marina Williamson, who is trending on uh, YouTube, um, she's a presidential candidate, and she's very critical of our crisis system and very passionate for the excluded, she actually won in a, a youth straw poll in Iowa. She, she, beat, she defeated Biden. Um, I think Trump got the most votes, but I think she got 20% of the youth straw votes, and uh, Biden got 18%. I, I wonder whether people, you know, are learn news that is inconvenient, uh, n- news that is not business-friendly. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you. Norman? Yeah, well, the, the point on debt it is good. I mean, the, the military spending is a large part of the reason that there's a debt, and I'm not against deficit spending. I think Keynesian economics has really held us in good stead, for instance, uh, during the uh, New Deal but militarism, a big cost. You know, if you add the Pentagon budget, which is close to $900 billion, and other expenses like nuclear weapons and so forth, it's up to $1.5 trillion with a T a year. In terms of, and it, it's Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson is polling about 5% uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, her campaign is not going anywhere in particular. And when at Roots Action we have uh, been continuing the Step Aside Joe campaign, we said we need a candidate who either has held elective office or led social justice movement activity. And unfortunately, Marianne Williamson, although she's a, a best-selling spiritual author, she really doesn't qualify. So, uh, so have any have has anybody contacted you? Uh, obviously, no one stepped up in the uh, official. Uh, Democratic Party process to oppose Joe Biden. Have you heard of anybody who's who's interested in it? Well, at this point, I mean, we're so far along yeah. with the calendar. We we have talked, you know, with members of Congress and others, and uh, as I mentioned earlier about Senator Jeff Merkley, there's just been this tremendous fear. Somebody who has, we should mention, step forward is Dean Phillips. He's running a pretty vigorous campaign now in New Hampshire, a member of Congress. But he's not really progressive. In, in some ways, he's, uh, as a Democrat, been to the right of Biden on a lot of corporate power issues. Now he's sort of uh, you know, wandering around ideologically, uh, I think, to try to pick up more votes. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, needless to say, Bernie Sanders is, has, is, is definitively not in the picture anymore. Well, that's correct. He has said uh, easily a year ago that he supports Biden for re-election, and you know, that's, that's that. unfortunate, I think. Okay. Well, we do have 10 minutes left with Norman Solomon, 503-231-8187. Uh, call in the next few minutes. Uh, don't wait till the last few minutes. Um, yeah, so this is a, a really good chance to uh, get get in with a, a really uh, 
experienced, seasoned uh, thinker on uh, all questions, uh, Democrat Party, uh, progressive politics, uh, the warfare state, and other things. With Norma Song, looks like we have someone calling in uh, whose recent book is War Made Visible, Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll, toll of Its Military Machine with the Help of the Media Concealing Its Perpetual War, uh, out uh, almost a year ago now. Um, finally got you on to talk about that and the Step Aside Joe campaign. Also a little late, a little late on that, obviously, since we're so long. But these are important questions. Um, we don't want to, I don't know, it's just so dismal to think of another Biden-Trump rematch. It's just, it's just so utterly depressing, really. It, 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 is, it is dismal. And the overall political picture, uh, not good, to put it mildly. It's, it's, it's grim. And yet, we have the example of people who persevered. You know, Howard Zinn, whose voice was often heard on KBU, talked about how at certain points in history, and of course he was a historian, things have looked very bleak. And yet, because of the aggregate work and efforts of so many people, there have been breakthroughs. And that could happen again. I also think of someone who suffered terribly under fascism in Italy in the 1930s. Antonio Gramsci talked about the need for, as he called it, pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. And we have many reasons for pessimism, but we also have a lot of determination from a lot of people. And I should say that people who perhaps have only been listening to KBU for a few years may not be aware that KBU, going back to the 1960s, has incubated so many people, so to speak, who have been able and willing to learn from what radio and communication can do to help change the world for a better. And that is really an ongoing process that we need to treasure and support. So so when did you were involved in, in KBU some, or at least on the air, when you lived in Portland? Yeah, I had a, a weekly program uh, beginning in 1900. 71 for, wow. for several years and was on the KBU board for five years and we had a very small space on Belmont Street around 30th and Belmont and so there have been a couple of moves since then it's really been an achievement for KBU to have its own building because there's the tenacity and the long range capacity that KBU now has so that's of course been the result of a lot of hard work from a lot of people. So how much public affairs was on KBU back in the early 70s? There was a fair amount. Oh, yeah? There was a lot of uh, music, creative work going on, and there was also a lot of interviewing that took place. Mm -hmm. And I can remember when the Vietnam War was still raging in 1972, inviting in a top editor of the Oregonian who sat in the KBU studio with me and said how the Vietnam War was justified and should keep going, and we got into quite an argument. And that was just one of literally thousands of times that KBU listeners over the year heard other points of view than what was coming from the mass media. Mm -hmm. Well, we do have a couple callers. Uh, Dennis is up next. Go ahead, Dennis. You're on the air. Hello. Yes, thank you very much. Um, on Flashpoints yesterday, David Bernstein, or uh, Dennis Bernstein's uh, guest, was also from Step Aside Joe, and he gave me an, an impression that uh, that I would I would hope would have some uh, merit is that if Joe stepped aside on his own, that um, that there would be a, you know great tumults and scrambling and so forth, and that uh, that candidates would kind of settle out, and and he was a little more hopeful about uh, the 11, 10, 11 months that uh, something could come out of that if Joe um, unilaterally uh, decided to step aside. Thank you. Well, it is, it is possible if... Um Mr. Biden decides he needs to spend more time with his family and bows out of the race, uh, that would be a terrific thing. Mm -hmm. Is that all you want to say on that? 
Yeah, uh, it's unlikely, unfortunately, yeah. but the more pressure that can be brought to bear, the better. Mm-hmm. Well, looks like we got one more caller and then maybe another after that. Go ahead, Tangent. We only have a, a couple, few minutes, so yeah, make it make brief. It I'll make it quick. Um, every time I hear all this time, even on Democracy Now! and, and even your radio station, but uh, the CIA-led coup in Guatemala, Chile, XYZ, here, there, and everywhere, it's CIA-planned, DOD-trained and equipped, and Wall Street-financed. I, I realized, I bought a house recently and, and didn't get to finish it because 2008 came around, but um, it, uh, it had aluminum wiring. That's what the, the, the inspection found, that it had aluminum wiring throughout the whole thing, and that that had to be changed, and that there was a cheaper fix than rewiring the whole house. But the thing was, the guy said, yeah, the electrician told me um, uh, copper went through the roof in 1969, and that's the year that house was built. So... <laughs> Okay, it only well, took him a couple of years well, thank you, Tangent. to uh, get the price of copper down. Go yeah, ahead, I'm not, Norm. I'm not, getting, I'm not getting the connection. Certainly, the CIA helped overthrow a number of governments. It's got nothing to do with copper or aluminum wiring, I think. Well, go, go talk about, the, talk about the, 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 the real deep state, <laughs> this uh, perpetual war deep state, the, the f- f- cold the. Cold War foreign policy apparatus that morphed into the perpetual war foreign policy apparatus. Yeah, well, we've been uh, downbeat for the last almost hour, but uh, there was just an inauguration in Guatemala uh, that uh, Mayan people and others are celebrating because it's somebody for democracy in Guatemala, a country that has been beset with slaughter and autocracy uh, supported by the U.S. for decades. And the overthrow of the democratically elected government there of Arbenz in 1954, a CIA operation. So we are up against powerful forces, but they can be defeated. Yeah, well, we'll see uh, where the U.S., uh, how much U.S. support U.S. supports this uh, new government in Guatemala. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, we got one more caller. Tony, go ahead. Uh, looks like then there's John. I don't know if we'll be able to get John in, but go ahead, Tony. Okay, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'd like to give a little pushback on what Norman said about uh, the Kennedy uh, candidacy. Um, For one, uh, Norman, you gave two talking points against Kennedy that are, you know, pretty much out there. And then it made me wonder, have you listened to him um, in, in any, like, his interview with Glenn Greenwald or some of the other things? Um... Okay, we'll have to leave it there because we really okay, are almost out of time. Fine. Go ahead, yeah, one more. That. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that. I've, I've listened to R.F. Kennedy Jr.'s speeches. I think he's a demagogue. Um, I think the way he lines up the world as though there's a huge totalitarian conspiracy to make people have vaccines is absurd. And his pledge to be the most pro-Israel president tells us a lot about his values. Okay. Well, let's just squeeze John in then. Go ahead, John. Make it really quick. I would just say that, you know, as much as we don't like Biden, he has aligned himself with a lot of Bernie Sanders' uh, political uh, uh, advocacy. And, uh, you know, it's like, like, Brett, like, like Lyndon Johnson. I mean, he prosecuted the Vietnam War, uh, and yet he passed civil rights legislation. Okay, so. we'll have to leave it there. Norman, you'll have the last word on the progressive side of Joe Biden. Good good comparison. Cold War liberal, uh, Joe Biden, LBJ, great society, uh, trying to get uh, build back better. Uh, the fact is, the first year of the Biden administration was the best, and it's been downhill ever since. Well, you got any uh, other projects you want to let us know about? Anything else going on? Well, organizing, and that's the perpetual. And as you mentioned, Paul, and thanks for uh, the invitation to be on this show, Everybody's invited to go to rootsaction.org. We're multi-issue, and we're part of the process to try to turn these terrible trends around. All right. And uh, 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 War Made Invisible, How America Hides a Human Tool of Its Military Machine, how was that received? It's been getting a a really good response from progressives and others, and uh, I've been really pleased that the chance to write a book has been followed up by the chance to, to talk about uh, what's in it. Did you get uh, any invitations from CNN or other establishment? <laughs> to, did, did you? you? Know, I, 
<laughs> I did 120 interviews this summer and fall about the book, almost all of them progressive ones. I just taped an hour uh, for the Jeffrey Sachs Book Club, and, and Jeffrey Sachs has just been very gracious. So I've gotten some nice responses. Okay, well, that'll be the last word. Thank you so much, Norm, for being on my show. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Paul. And that's it for Wednesday Talk Radio. Stay tuned for more great programming here on KBOO. Bye, everybody. Listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM. The time is 9 a.m. This is Ursula K. Le Guin, and you are listening to KBOO, the cheerful voice of social conscience. KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. The Finance Committee meets on the third Thursday of the month at 5.30 p.m. This month's meeting will be held online through a public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting can be found at our website at kboo.fm. Please visit our website to verify if a meeting is being held.